1: began last week, a look into the practical outworking or example of that wisdom as it's found in the call of God, namely the call of unbelievers to salvation, the call of God to himself, a call that we as believers are a part of, a call that we have heeded. As such, our understanding of the wisdom of God and our part in it drives us to greater worship and holiness. In keeping with the theme of wisdom, the more we live out the wisdom of God, the more we will succeed in those pursuits of holiness and worship. How so? To value what God values rather than what the world values. And that's the comparison, the contrast that Paul has set up. He's not just talking about the wisdom of God, as you recall. He is comparing the wisdom of God to the wisdom of man, which ultimately is foolishness it is not wisdom at all would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 through 31 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 through 31 is a passage that we began last week and i'm going to read the whole thing for you as we finish off the passage this morning verses 26 through 31 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for consider your calling brethren Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. We are looking in this passage at four manifestations of God's wisdom in the calling. And we looked at two last week, and by way of review, the first one was the people of the calling, second manifestation of God's wisdom in the calling, the paradox of the calling third manifestation of God's wisdom in the calling the purpose of the calling he says all of this in verse 29 so that no man may boast before God the word boast is similar to how we use it today in the Greek to take pride in or to glory in to brag but here it also has the concept of trusting or putting one's confidence in something. So you got to understand that boasting can be good or bad depending on what you are boasting in. Boasting in the Lord is a good thing. Here he's talking about people boasting in themselves. Going to the beginning of 1 Corinthians, you can see how this bled into the church. Remember, they were all trying to outdo each other, classifying themselves into different groupings under certain spiritual leaders, the the factions that we talked about. And this is all the wider context of what Paul is addressing and writing about here. And we'll even see more of this later in, in 1 Corinthians, all the way down to even these believers bragging about their spiritual gifts, trying to outdo one another by how gifted they were. But here, Paul says that what God has done is so that no man can boast before God because before any gifting is salvation. But men will boast. That's a fact. That's a reality. But truth be told, if you are realistic, they cannot boast before God. Why? Because if you once thought of God's salvation plan as foolish, which you did because natural man does, then how can you boast about your salvation now? We're all on equal footing, the same starting point, a level playing field with no inherent advantages. Uh, this isn't like uh, a famous musician who grew up in a in a musician's home or an athlete who just was bigger just by genetics and so had an advantage over other players we are all on equal footing regardless of how you grew up or what you were exposed to and you know what that equal footing is total depravity we're complete sinners your salvation whether you're saved or not whether you are called out of that depravity does not change whether you are raised by a christian family or not whether you are, live in a country where, where religion is outlawed or not, it is all God. There is none righteous, none who seeks after God. And this is why we need grace. This is which, that which is undeserved, unearned. Total, utter depravity only by grace are we saved. Sinners saved by grace. And when you understand your salvation then you understand others' salvation. And that leads to an understanding of God's sovereignty and grace, not only in election and calling, but also in human talent and human giftedness. And when you understand all of that, the foundation of which is God's calling, you get why nobody can boast before God understand that all of this foolishness, all of this sin, all of this worldliness that Paul is addressing, we were that. We were enslaved to that. We thought that way. We had no ability in and of ourselves. Society could give us nothing to think outside of the box of worldly foolishness. And now that we are saved, we have nothing to boast about because God did it all. It's like when that when that kid in your class from elementary school, the loser you see him on the news and he's now rich and famous and now you walk around going hey i was i know that kid i went to school with that kid you can't brag about that when you were the only one calling him a loser that's what we were doing that's how we thought the gospel christians foolish and now we have no right to brag because god saved us out of that in christ we realize that we were the fools the foolish base man excuse me the foolish base man can do nothing for himself god has done everything he has made you who you are which leads us to the next two verses verses 30 and 31 but by his doing by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from god and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And in these two verses, we find our fourth and final manifestation of God's wisdom in the calling, the product of the calling, the product of the calling. Here, Paul continues his flow of thought of no man being able to boast before God by emphasizing what God has done. He says, by his doing. And what is it that he has done? The most important thing, the everlasting thing. We are in Christ Jesus. As we have seen all along, he did this by making Christ the wisdom from God. And through this wisdom, God gives us eternal life, which includes these three things mentioned in verse 30. Righteousness, sanctification, or holiness, if you have the NIV, and redemption again all of these were by god's doing which suggests he is both the origin and source let's take a minute to unpack these they're familiar terms righteousness is for the christian the status of being right before god once guilty criminals now cleared of every charge This is really, when you see this in the Greek, and especially in this context, this is more of a legal or forensic term rather than an ethical one. Despite our guilt of having broken the law, God gives us the standing of the innocent, declares us right, innocent before him. And in so doing, he acquits us and has a share in Christ's righteous character secondly is sanctification this is holiness this is found only through christ and allows us into the presence of god we are now set apart for him to be his and for his service the defilement of sin that separated us from god that barred us from fellowship with god has been removed And now we can enter, as it were, the holy of holies, the veil having been torn in two, and we can approach God whenever we want in prayer and one day we'll be in His presence because we have been set apart. And thirdly, Paul says, redemption, redemption. This is the release through the payment of a ransom price. We have the same idea, kind of, Uh, when we talk about redeeming a coupon, redeeming a gift card. This was used of the release of prisoners through the payment of a price. In the Greco-Roman world, there were slave markets, and a slave could be purchased or redeemed from one master to another so long as the new master paid the required price you can see how this metaphor from slavery uh, was special to the Jews of the time as a way to express their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. When Paul uses this word, redemption, he most often is referring to the deliverance from the bondage of sin and not a human or political bondage, though the word can refer to that this also includes the the reality of our future and final redemption before god before god in the last days you're probably very familiar with romans 3 and where the same word is used romans chapter 3 verses 24 and 25 that uh, that come right after the the damning romans 323 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and he says verse 24 being justified as a gift by His grace, through the redemption, there's the same word, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. In other words, because He passed over, He did not punish them for those sins. He did still become righteous Himself by redeeming us from those sins in Jesus Christ. Back to 1 Corinthians. These three terms, these three characteristics, they would be pretty fantastic if you think about it. If you you think about the way I just define them in just their general usage, they would be wonderful if they were just referring to a boss that was upset with you or, or an estranged family member. To, to finally be uh, to to finally get your project done the way he likes so you're now in a right standing with your boss or or to to finally be able to sit down at thanksgiving dinner without that, that without that animosity or even a slave to be purchased out of enslavement either to freedom or to a better nicer more lenient master but to be characterized as such in relation to god is mind-blowing it's amazing it is wonderful and all of a sudden the contrast with that which the world boasts in truly does make the pursuits of the world seem foolish to boast and pursue to give their lives for human recognition human accolades finances worldly comfort indeed is foolish in comparison to giving your life to Jesus Christ and being redeemed, holy, forever. Oh, you're a descendant of a Rockefeller? Well, I'm a child of God. Oh, you're, I've heard of you. You're the leading intellectual in your field set apart from everyone else in your occupation well I'm set apart from the rest too the rest of who the rest of the world oh wow someone someone doubled your salary to steal you from your last company Christ died to steal me from hell you want to brag about your accomplishments I will brag about Christ's. And that's exactly how Paul rounds out this chapter in verse 31, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. This is from Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 24. The context in Jeremiah is a part of a series of judgment oracles. God's judgment is coming Because of their various sins. And in that context, the idea is that those who think they are wise in their own eyes, according to the world, will suffer judgment. They're doing what they want, what they think is right. And this verse that Paul quotes is part of the climax of those judgment oracles, which warns them not to boast in anything but God. Judgment is coming. Stop boasting in yourselves, only boast in God. In other words, They should evaluate, or rather, they should not evaluate themselves by any human criteria because God has called them by different standards. And Paul quotes this verse to sum up what he has written regarding the doctrine of salvation and the ethical implications of the Corinthians' factions. And I should point out, in in our verse in 1 Corinthians, that the force of the grammar indicates a command. You must do this. If you're going to boast, which is all of us, boast in the Lord. But when we really think about it as true worshiping Christians, do we really need to be told to do this? to find our confidence in the Lord, to boast in our salvation. The foolish and godless glory in themselves, the wise, by God's grace, boast in the Lord. So, stop all boasting and reliance on self, but joyfully and with a trusting and thankful heart, praise the Lord. So what do you put your confidence in? What makes you feel like you're worth something? What brings a smile to your face? What are you boasting in? Or what are you pursuing so that you could boast in? We're not just talking about people who strut into a room and start rattling off their resume or brag about what they just did. God looks at the heart. And ultimately, what you would or wish to or desire to boast about reflects what's in your heart. And what's in your heart is what you are trusting in. Are you eager for recognition from others in order to be happy, content, feel a sense of worth? Are you unhappy? Are you discontent unless someone recognizes what you have done? Is 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 work... Just a bore is work difficult to go to unless you get recognized by coworkers unless you get a good job now I get i mean we're're we're, we're commanded to encourage one another, and that's important that's not what we're talking about here It's where do you put your trust and your confidence in it's Does it get to the point where you don't even think you're doing a good job unless someone else praises you? Again, I'm not talking about the necessary evaluations and criteria of your work. I'm talking about, yes, it's done and it's done correctly, but if your boss just says it like that instead of, wow, really good job, you're an asset to the company, you just feel worthless. Is, is God's choosing of you not enough? If, is God's grace not enough. See, the challenge here is if you're only seeking to boast based on worldly things, you will be driven to do your job well only for worldly things. And that just snowballs. You know, once you're acknowledged and that that, that feeds your ego and maybe you get a bonus or a raise, that just snowballs into this, this huge uh, just desire for... The things of the world. And when we say it doesn't matter what you get paid or how you are recognized, you work hard and you excel for the Lord's glory, that becomes a foreign concept to you because his pleasure is not enough. Like, yeah, yeah, I get that, but I just feel like that I'm not really glorifying God. Why not? Because my boss hasn't hasn't said anything. You got to be careful of that. You got to be careful if the boss praises you and you're not doing a good job to still excel for the Lord. Hopefully none of you, but there are bosses out there that will praise you because you went with them in breaking some of the rules of the IRS or whatever it may be. That doesn't glorify the Lord. That's not excellent, but you're getting the praise from man. And so you, if you hang on every word, you will be driven to do more of that. That's just one extreme example, but I think you get the point. Look, there's nothing wrong should the Lord choose to put you through a good school or raise you up in your company or your social circles. But you have to ask yourself, are you content with where He has put you and do you give Him all the praise and glory? Is your uh, Do you recognize your standing before God? Or... From a practical point of view, are you willing to seek a higher standing before man, even if it is to the detriment of your relationship with your Creator? It reminds me of what Paul told or, or rather shouted, if you could say that through written word, to the Galatians. Galatians 3, 1-3, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In that context, Paul was talking about legalism or going to the law for either salvation or sanctification. These were true believers, but they were falling back on legalistic root rituals because of the Judaizers, and Paul's confronting them. You are saved by grace. Are you now trying to finish off your salvation through works? The principle for us, though not the context is not the same, the principle is the same. Are you trusting God? Are you finding your confidence in God, or, or are you trusting yourself? You have to understand what we're talking about ultimately is on the big picture of what do you boast in? What do you base your life on? This is not saying we throw caution to the wind. This is not saying that we don't submit to our government or we, we don't listen to our bosses so long as what they're asking us to do is legitimate and legal, biblical. I mean, you're all watching from home. We are submitting to our government. We are doing what is wisest in regards to not what the, 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 the media panic has said, but what scientists have told us about how long this virus can live and whatnot. So I'm not saying we just trust the Lord and, 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 and walk into places where we know people have the, the coronavirus or whatever it is. That's not what we're talking about. Ultimately, we're talking about the foundation of your lives. If I can paraphrase Paul to the Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, having been saved by the foolish wisdom of God, are you now living your world, living your life according to the world, trying to perfect these few decades you have on this planet through the things of the world, which God calls foolish? Do you trust God? Or do you trust yourself for the things that matter? And when good things happen, according to the world, do you use that in the midst of the onlooking world to proclaim to them the wisdom of God by giving God the glory and praise? Or do you just rattle off all the the hard work you did in studying and working hard? for manifestation of God's wisdom in the calling. The people of the calling, the paradox of the calling, and this morning we saw the purpose of the calling and the product of the calling. Paul's not done speaking about the wisdom of God. If you recall, I mentioned he will talk about two practical examples of his wisdom. Next, we'll go into chapter 2, and we'll see the wisdom of God in Paul's ministry and how he